Um, thank you for joining us for Bible study. Uh, for some, uh, a long-anticipated study, um, speaking on the ministry and the office of the diakonos, the deacon, the deaconry. Um, at the time of planning this study, I believe we uh, had anticipated having a, uh, an extended Q&A uh, afterwards. Since we've moved to two slots and time uh, will limit us to some extent uh, for extensive Q&A, but just a heads up, we, we are anticipating in, in the weeks ahead to have something in writing that kind of reflects the teaching tonight, a statement that we will use in a, in a Zoom meeting likely. Um, we'll have to think through the specifics of this, but you'll receive an email um, that where we just want to provide an open forum for, for, for questions and answers. And Anne, Brian, and I will, 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 will be uh, on that call. And, and we uh, yeah encourage you to, as, as we cover uh, this office of deacons, uh, to, to take notes, to, to write down questions. I'm sure that some of you have come prepared with some um, others might might come up tonight, so please please write them down, and maybe we can we can deal with them tonight here um, on the recording for those who are at home and checking in later. Maybe maybe these are questions that we'll deal with at the, at the open forum. Um, I want to qualify <clears throat> tonight's study, kind of frame it with it with a couple of comments. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll be teaching from God's Word on the office of deacons. Uh, we think it's an important thing to talk about. Paul thought so as well in 1 Timothy 3, 15, after giving qualifications for elders and deacons alike, he writes this, that you may know how one ought to conduct oneself in the household of God. This is an important matter. Let me state it clearly, however, that we do not believe this is a matter of first importance. It's not unimportant, not crucial, either to what we believe as a church, uh, what we as elders think uh, a deacon is, and who should serve in this role, does not touch on any central matters of the gospel. It's not touching on the resurrection that we have just read about. It's not speaking to the nature of who God is. It's not touching on the deity of Christ, matters of judgment, salvation, and so forth. As much as we all would like to agree on all matters of scripture, it's not a matter that we think ought to cause disunity in any church, uh, and in this church for that matter as well, let alone be a matter that causes people to break fellowship over. I say this, especially taking into consideration that some of the texts we're going to look at tonight have historically and are currently a source of division or disagreement amongst many faithful Reformed Reformed churches, uh, elders, members alike. We as elders know many a faithful pastor and many a, what is it, a, a heavyweight theologian that would probably um, land on a different position regarding this office uh, as we um, hold to or, or think we are most persuaded by. Um, most persuaded. I think that's a, that's a good way to put it, and I say that intentionally. It, it's simply not that clear. If, I would reason, it was that clear, many more churches would be very much united on this. Um, frankly, there are, there are good and, and well-thought-out arguments for a variety of positions regarding what the Word teaches on the diaconate. I would even go as far as to say that what I'll teach and try to put into words for you uh, tonight, um, I do, all the while having sympathy 
for people that hold to a different position very much so because i myself have gone from one position to another even in the last year or so this is kind of caused uh, by being in the scriptures and letting my preconceptions and pre-notions on a certain office just be corrected by what i think uh, the scriptures is most persuasive in so it is with a sense of humility saints and i want to be clearing that with a sense of humility that i present on behalf of your elders an attempt to articulate what we think the scriptures teach regarding the office of the diaconate with that said would you would you pray with me as we start my father we we thank you we thank you for your word um, father we thank you for all that is in it Father, we thank you for that what you have placed in it under the inspiration of your holy spirit regarding the office of deacons i pray lord that as we cover this uh, that we would do so humbly um, as we process what what is in the scriptures as we as we reason with one another from your word father would you give us insight and wisdom humility and love for one another and father would we be built up as a church because of it uh, i ask your help lord uh, for myself as i as i work through the text and teach from it would you would you help me would you um, cause me to be clear and and, and concise and, and and true to what your word teaches lord and we pray for your help in jesus name Amen. Amen. Saints, with that said, it, it's a technical study. It's, it's, it's not a study I would like to see every week because it's kind of technical. Um, so what you'll see me do is look quite a lot to the precise wording that I've tried to put together on page, articulating, trying to articulate, aiming to articulate where we land and why. And with that, I want to just be precise and concise to, to what I have given time and thought to. With that out of the way, um, I think most of what we'll cover tonight, and hopefully we'll have time for all of it, is, is the office of the deacon and its qualifications. We'll talk a little bit about the task of the deacon too, but the office and qualifications I think are, are most important, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll go um, about that just right. Question for you, where... The people turn when talking deacons. Where in the scriptures would people turn first? Where do you go first? Going about script uh, about the deacons. Where would that be? For some, uh, this is Act Six. This is right after the Gospels. We see the growing church. Act Six. That's that's where deacons are are found, right? And we think so. Yes. However. Um, I want to start by looking at Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Um, this is what he writes, uh, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. And this passage is important for a couple of reasons. First, it's content, but also it's dating. The Philippians is estimated to be written by Paul between 50 and 60 AD. And though our English Bibles place Acts right after the Gospels, logically, this does not represent the chronological order of the writing. Hear me out. Act 6 is, is, is the very first place that most of us go to regarding deacons. It's not the first mentioning of deacons. 
it, it occurred first, it's not the first mentioning, First Timothy and uh, Philippians 1, 1 were written earlier. Acts was not written until 30 to 40 years after the fact. So Philippians 1, 1 is the first writing that the church had access to, uh, to the deacon um, presented as an officer. And I say officer intentionally. Uh, the reason why is that in his greeting, Paul seems to make a sharp distinction between the saints in Philippi in Christ Jesus and those who hold set-apart offices in the church. So what he says is, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, the church, with the overseers and deacons, the officers of the church, leaders of the church. And I think it's important to call our attention to that Paul makes this distinction. And why I think this matters is that in many churches today, many faithful churches today, this specific office of deacon, and what I think Paul is referring to here as a set-apart office of church leadership in his greeting in Philippians 1.1, seems to either not really exist, or at least seems to have been redefined. It seems to mean something else. That's what I think I see in many churches today. And, and that anything in the realm of general service or any acts of service related to anything in the church is deemed to be the task of a deacon. And, and in some sense, this is understandable. The meaning of the word diakonia can be rendered to mean all sorts of things related to service. Assignment, service, preparation for a social event or making provision for. Those are all uh, legit translations and renderings of the word diakonia based on context. So in that sense, I'm not surprised to find many task-specific deacon titles within many of our sister churches in our day. A deacon of nursery, deacon of grounds, deacon of greeting ministry, deacon of audiovisual, deacon of special events, deacon of supplies. I've even seen a deacon of soccer. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of these areas of service in the church. Play and organize soccer to the glory of God. I mean, in all that you do, organize these soccer camps. Let it be to the building up of the church. Serve in that way. Serve unto the Lord. We would all agree that deacons serve. But a more interesting question, I think it is that the our general acts of service within the church automatically refer to or to be designated as deacon tasks. I don't mean a general servant task, but as Paul seems to refer to a leadership office in the church, he mentions it right next to the elders. I think how you answer that question is foundational how you approach the conversation about the role of deacons in the church. Just an example, if, if you hold that general acts or areas of service within the church are indeed the task of a deacon, we here at RCF probably should aim to have a deacon of baptism block parties. One of the renderings of diaconia can be preparation for a social event. Why not? The same can be said for nursery, uh, supplies, and lots of other helpful areas of service regarding to matters of the church. 
you read Philippians 1 1 and see the distinction that Paul makes, I'm personally not just that persuaded that this is what Paul has in mind. To unpack or support that a little bit, let's just consider the, the following verses real quick regarding service in or connection to service in or connected to, to the church. Service in or connected to the church. This is Paul in Galatians 5, verse 13. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is written to the saints, all the saints, to brothers and sisters alike. Serve one another humbly in love. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. Help them, sorry. He will remember your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and as you continue to help them. It's a very deaconish verse. It's not written to deacons. It's written to the saints in the church. It, it, it describes the saints. First Peter 4, 9 and 10. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Again, a very deacon-like verse. In writing this, however, Peter is instructing all the saints, not the deacons. This is what Paul gets to in Ephesians 4.12, where he speaks about the saints being about the work of the ministry. Literally, in the Greek, it says ergon diakonias, the work of service. We've considered this in the pillars, preparing the saints for the work of the ministry. So when Paul charges the elders to do so, he says this, equip the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. It's assumed that Christians serve. Paul assumes that the saints serve and serve in all sorts of ways for the building up of the body. So when he writes to the Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, even referring themselves to slave or servant of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Paul assumes that all the saints that he mentions, that they serve one another, that they serve the church, that they serve in all sorts of ways. That's what a saint does. He or she serves to the glory of God and for the building up of the body. Why, saints? Let's, let's, let's just briefly consider this. Why? Why is it that all the saints who are in Christ Jesus do this? Why? Why is it that the saints serve? Why do we serve one another? Humbly in love. Why does Peter instructs us to use whatever gift we've been given? Why are we faithfully to steward our gifts? Because the saints who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says, are in Christ Jesus. Since we're in him, we're of him. And this is what the saints know. They know that they, they are not their own. They know very well that they've been purchased at a price. They know very well that, that, he, that they themselves have been served. 
in the most significant of ways. Someone served them in, in the most imaginable way possible. The saints know that Christ Jesus humbled himself and himself became a servant, our servant, a suffering servant, the servant of all. Therefore, indeed, Christ is the greatest in all of the kingdom of God. He died, saints, for us, the, the God-man, the just for the unjust, so that we might live. Indeed, the, the saint or the saints, plural, who are in Christ Jesus, they know that hey, they have been receiving grace upon grace. And, and that's what Peter speaks to in regards of serving. Serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, all sorts of ways. Brothers, sisters, fellow servants. That's what we are. Saints, let's continue to be faithful stewards of the God-given gifts that we've been given. That's what, that's what we're called to. We're called to serve one another in the church. That's what we're called to, and that's what we're enabled to. Being indwelled with the very Spirit of God, who himself distributes good gifts amongst his people. Why? Gifts for you? Gifts for the body? It's for the body, for the church to be built up. I hope you see that, that all the saints serve in all sorts of way. You don't need an office to serve. That's what it means to be a saint. You serve. So back to my earlier point in Philippians 1.1, Paul addresses all the saints, yet the deacons separately, together with the overseers, which I think points to Paul writing to the deacons with a specific office of leadership within the church in mind, as opposed to deacons being more broadly speaking, general servants. The saints are the general servants of the church. I think this is further underlined in, in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, where, where Paul speaks to the qualifications of church leaders, overseers, deacons. Now, this is the place where Paul speaks at length about deacons. It, I think, is the most clear place where Paul speaks on deacons. If there's any passage in Scripture, there's a few. I think 1 Timothy 3, 8, uh, 8 to 13 is the place to go. Why? Because he says he's writing about deacons. Even Act 6, that we kind of hold to as a paradigm, doesn't mention deacons. Some would even disagree that that is a place to go to. Not a position that I personally hold, but, but, but 1 Timothy 3.18, we think, is the most clear section in Scripture regarding the qualification of the deacon. And though in, in, in Titus 1.9, Paul is very clear about the overseers, the elders in the church. He says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is seemingly not too concerned with describing tasks of the office of deacon. And this is frustrating to me, that in the most clear place in Scripture where, actually is, where, where Paul is actually addressing what is the deacon, he talks not about tasks. And, and I, yeah, there's, there's times where, where, where I say, 
Paul, you, you could, and maybe you should have been more specific. This it would have caused a whole lot more unity in the church, a whole lot more shared understanding of what you were specifically talking about. But I take it that he indeed was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and wrote that um, very specifically. I just want to get that out there. Um, so let's say that, that, that this is intentional. He does not seem to be too concerned by the tasks. He is more concerned about the character of the office. He does, Paul, double down and provide precise qualifications for the deacons. And let me read uh, these qualifications from 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13, starting in verse 8. This is from the ESV translation, and you'll find out soon why that is important. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those are the qualifications according to 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. For the sake of time, I cannot and will not go into detail about all of these qualifications. Um, I trust that most of them are familiar, actually, because they're very similar to the elder's office. What I will say, however, is that the conjunction in verse 8, likewise, after speaking of the elders, underlines, I think, yet again, the weight or significance of the office of the deacon. Paul first speaks what overseers ought to be like, and in the same breath, connecting it with the conjunction, likewise, like the elder, deacons must be like this. And what follows then is a very, like I said, familiar, similar list of qualifications to what Paul teaches the elders to be. There are two qualifications between these two offices that stand out. First, able to teach. The elder must be able to teach. This doesn't mean that he must teach all the time, but he ought to be able to do this faithfully. And this is in line with what he says in uh, what we read and considered in Titus 1.9. Able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. The deacon is not charged with this burden. This is also excluded from his qualifications. It's not found in Again, no specific skill set for the, for the deacon is mentioned. It's, it's, it's the character. Again, we see that elders are, are, are both held to certain characteristics, um, character matters, and skill sets. The deacon is not necessarily held to that in these verses. The other qualification is found in verse 11. And this is where disagreement arises. This is where the, the waters get muddy if you will. Yeah, this, this, is, this is historically a text where, where many would disagree on, on whether a woman or a man can serve in this office. 
think we will spend some time on there. Um, this is verse 11. Yeah, this is the ESV. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The very same verse rendered in the NASB translation says this. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious, gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Women for their wives. I'm sure that if you have um, familiarized yourself with textual and translation issues, I know some of you have looked at these passages in depth. Now, I haven't read it all, but I've done some significant research uh, on this topic in, in the recent months, and there is a ton of research done on this verse, on the exegesis of these, of this little, little, little segment of scripture. It, it's incredibly technically linguistic challenging and, and I've read good supporting arguments for both these translations. Not all equally weighty, but the point is people arrive at different positions, having been well informed, all the while having been familiarized or having familiarized themselves with the different positions. And people do not arrive at uh, these, these conclusions and these commitments being ignorant to that what's out there. So this makes it very complicated. Um, Saying so that this is an area that you have not looked at in depth, you might wonder why these different translations appear. Their wives versus women, clearly they get, they, they, these, these aren't compatible. So which one is it, is the question, right? And it's a hard question to answer. Let me say first that this question cannot be answered with an English Bible alone. Uh, with uh, you know, what the NASB has done with the Greek is giving it the most literal translation as the NASB is known for, right? Most of the time, very literal from the Greek to the English. It's the Greek work, a word, gune, uh, in verse 11, which can mean either woman or wife. They're interchangeably used throughout the scriptures. Clearly, they mean something different. Every wife is a woman, and not every woman is a wife. I'm not telling you anything new there. So, so to translate gune, let that be said too. So to translate gune, translators, this is the point, they need to make interpretive decisions. They need to. The NASB translator, or translators, it's a team, they chose to go with women. It's the most literal translation, but they chose. That's an interpretive decision. The ESV, in contrast, translated their wives. That also is an interpretive, interpretive translation matter or decision. There, I'll be very frank, there, the, the, the possessive pronoun in the ESV, taking Greek to be the wives of deacons, is not present in the Greek. It's not there. It is rather the context of the passage that drives the ESV translators to their decision. So both, both translations make an interpretive decision. Neither of these translations are ignorant of the importance of their decision. Both interpret the context of Gune differently. 
So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the context surrounding verse 11. Uh, what is the context of verse 11 in the chapter, in the letter? Uh, these immediate context matters. How does it fit within chapter 3? How does it fit in 1 Timothy at large? Out of all the arguments, and there's many, I think the, the strongest argument that is often made in favor of the NASB translation, uh, which is at the same time the, the greatest arguments against uh, the ESV translation. And that is this. Why, Paul, why single out deacons' wives? If any wife should be singled out, should that not be the wife of the elders, not the deacons? Wouldn't Paul be more concerned with the character of the elders' wives, or at least as concerned? He doesn't mention any of it talking uh, in regards to talking about the elders. None of, it, none of their wives are mentioned. Thus, many would reason this must then be referring to women in general or women deacons. Let's just face it, in, in all honesty, it, it's an awkward exegetical question for anyone that lands on, 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 on the spectrum of, of the ESV translation. It's a good question. And the answer that I'll hopefully later tonight provide um, may be satisfactory to some. Uh, others might, might think it's not a, a, a good answer to this question. So that's, that's awkward to say the least. It's, it's a good question um, that, this, that this brings up. Um, clearly, uh, the NASB translation would uh, have something to say about Phoebe in Romans 16. And this is another text that speaks for some about the office of deacon. Paul in Romans 16.1 clearly calls Phoebe a deacon, a deacon of the church even. Isn't that convincing enough? Conclusion, scripture teaches that women can serve as deacons. Saints, I, I wish it was that simple. Uh, it isn't, and it is more nuanced. Uh, diakonon, the feminine form of diakonos, can again mean all of the following servant, courier, agent, assistant, most commonly rendered as servant. So it's very likely, especially given the specific context in which Phoebe is brought up in Romans 16, that Paul wants to honor her for the great help that she's been to him. He writes this. For she, Phoebe, has been a patron, a, a benefactor of, of many people, including me. Clearly, this is worthy of honor. Surely, Paul calls attention to her in this way. He, he honors her, and, and, and he should. Phoebe sounds awesome to me. I want a Phoebe on my team as well. And, and, and thank God there are many Phoebes at this church, so we rejoice in the Phoebes amongst us. What Paul then asks is that she may be received in a manner that is worthy of the saints. What is that? He's asking for some holy hospitality. Though referred to as diaconon of the church, especially in the context which Paul gives thanks to for her generous financial support to many at the church, we think it's not the most clear passage to use as a proof text, if you will for her to be an officer of the church. It's not clear at all. It could very well mean either. Given that, um, this is just not the proof text to go to. And I argue that 
for the matter uh, for the matter of gender regarding the office of deacon we ought to uh, arrive at first timothy 3 8 to 13 and we would even do that and i think there's ground to do so with a neutral position of what paul exactly means regarding phoebe because if we take phoebe as a deacon we will automatically read first timothy 3 in a certain way since Romans 16 is not that clear at all, I'm just not persuaded by the context, I think we should arrive with a neutral uh, slate when we, when we arrive at 1 Timothy 3, 11, that is. That's my take. Back to this very verse, 1 Timothy 3, 11, and, and the ESV rendering. Good exegetical arguments, arguments can be made for the opposing position of women, namely their wives, even with the absence of the possessive pronoun there in the text. Many, a scholar argues, um, despite this pronoun being absent, the wives of the deacons is, is what Paul speaks to. And I think a good argument for this position is this. If Gune would be rendered a woman or women deacons, verses 8 to 10, which is clearly discussing male deacons, all of a sudden it needs to switch to female deacons in, in verse 11. And then directly after that again, in verse 12, clearly returns to describing male deacons. All the while, this is the kicker, all the while using the same root gune in verse 12, right after verse 11 which must, in verse 12, be translated as wife. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. It's likely that since verse 12 uses Gune as wife, that, that verse 11 must be rendered as that as well. With that, without any clear textual clues in the Greek that Paul actually is changing the topic between male and female deacons, Paul, who is known for very logical arguments, just seems to have an off day in writing this. And I, I don't think he does. It, it just means that we end up with a really awkward reading if we read the NASB. Just, just read it this way. Now, I'll be reading it in, in, in a woman deacon's way. Just, just hear Paul's argument as I read from the text. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Likewise, women deacons must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, Kune managing the children in their own households well. It, it, it just doesn't seem to really fit in the flow of the argument. On top of that, this is not a very heavy weighty argument, but I think it's important. Why in the same letter later in, in chapter five, nine, in dealing with the church's support of widows, Paul writes this. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than six years of age, and here it is, having been the wife of one husband. I think it's fair to reason that we can expect Paul to, 
in line with being clear on qualifications for elders and male deacons, and now also the widows in chapter five to include and specify this similar qualification for women in verse 11, if indeed he is talking or we ought to understand them as women deacons. Paul does not. So what to make of that? Furthermore, if then Paul is introducing the office of female deacon in the church in just verse 11, it seems rather incomplete, making a mere summary statement at the end of the verse, being faithful in all things. Personally, I think it's fair to reason that one would expect more detail from Paul, especially since he makes the elder and deacon qualifications so very specific and extensive. Even the widows in chapter 5 who are receiving support from the diaconate are charged with more specific qualifications than this female deacon would. If, indeed, the mentioning of female deacon qualifications uh, is found in 11, it's argued by, by many that this seems a little out of place and imbalanced. Imbalanced is the, is the conclusion of many. There's Others, but here's another argument for, for the ESV rendering, Gune, as, as, as their wives. And I think this, this, this is actually um, an, yeah, a clear, clear argument for, for the ESV rendering of, of Paul's writing. What Paul seems to be doing in verse 11 to 13 is developing the theme of deacons, of a deacon's household and family. In verse 11, his wife must be blameless. Verse 12, he must be faithful in marriage, followed by his children must be well-managed. All these verses are dealing with the same topic and, and just seem to belong together as a unit. Although all character qualities in doing all these things right, the deacon proves himself a person with a good track record, both of his Christian general faithfulness as well as managerial abilities. And they're not specifically mentioned in the text. I think we can read them there. Managing a home, uh, saints, is no joke. And I know that some of you can attest to this. So those are some arguments that argue for Gune, referring to the wives of deacons. So, saints, what about that awkward and yet outstanding question for the wives rendering? Why does Paul seem to speak to deacons' wives' qualification and does not do so for elders? What, how can we, it's an important question, because that doesn't seem very logical either. How can we best answer that? And I think we can best answer that by looking actually at Act 6. It helps us explain uh, some of that. So far, we've talked character qualities, summarized as general faithfulness in 1 Timothy 3. And we've seen some points of managerial capability of the deacon. So in First Timothy, we get who is the deacon? The best example of what a deacon actually does, we think, is found in Acts 6. Though not actually mentioning the word deacon, it all seems to come together there. So reading about the work or the task of a deacon, as we think Acts 6 points to, through the lens of who the deacon is, will help us much. And let's read quickly through Acts 6, 1 to 6. 
Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to, these, or to this duty, that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they, um, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they go about picking these seven men. Now, this is, this is a passage that's worthy of, of just preaching on by itself, which we shall not do tonight. I want to, for, for the sake of tonight's argument and study, highlight a couple of observations. I'll just bullet point these. The church had grown greatly. That's a clear observation. Some translations even mention that they multiplied. It seems that the apostles who functioned uh, as overseers had become overburdened with serving tables, as the text renders. Serving tables, which is very, it probably looked like something of dispensing from the church's funds and managing those distributions. I have a very hard time thinking of the apostle going door to door with a bag of fruit and a bread. And that, I don't think that's what it means. I think they were overseeing the distribution of these funds. It just seems unrealistic with the size of the church that this was done by them. It was likely done by faithful saints, members of the church. With the growth of the church, the growing needs impacted the bandwidth of the apostles, which is just encouraging. Even apostles failed their members from time to time. That's an encouraging word to a pastor. In short, there is always more ministry than time. Brian knows this. It's not that they thought the job was too low uh, for them uh, to take care of the Hellenistic women. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is not what the text teaches at all. It, it, it's, a, it's a capacity issue. And this is seen that in the moment that they were confronted with the matter, it was brought up to the elders. They do not say, never mind them widows, we're busy. They say, this needs to be taken care of. But we can't oversee lest the preaching of God's word and prayers for the church are hindered due to this capacity issue. Hence, they say, we need assistance in this specific area. So what happens next is the apostles say that God from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, specific duty. What duty, saints? Is this waiting tables? Is this Clean the cafeteria, the broad sense of serving. I don't think that's likely. It seems rather to be a matter of significant managerial oversight. The outcome of these seven men appointed to his duty was that there's an additional layer of oversight established in that church. That's what happened. Another layer of managerial oversight came to be in that church in Jerusalem. The apostles who functioned as overseers who were responsible to lead the church, who were responsible for managing the church, appoint faithful brothers for assisting them in this oversight, for assisting them in the management of the church in a specific area. 
not carrying the same responsibility and authority pastorally. The Lord himself does not do that to the deacons. He will hold elders and teachers of his word to a higher standard. This is not the same. They're not carrying the same burden of preaching the word rightly. Stephen does later preach the word. So deacons can do that. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's what people do. Um, deacons, in a real way, seem in Acts 6, through the grid of 1 Timothy 3, be appointed to an important task of oversight in the church under the direction of the elders. And overseeing the distribution for the widows being assisted, likely, by a larger group of other faithful saints in the church, serving one another, as we have already considered earlier. Since then, the deacon, in contrast to the elder, is naturally more involved in works of mercy and practical oversight. As the text clearly shows, these interactions require dealing with widows. This is both found in 1 Timothy 5, later in the letter after Paul gives instructions, and here in Acts 6, and other similar mercy interactions. It's not unlikely at all that they would have been assisted by their wives or potentially other women in the congregation. Surely in Acts 6 here, it's very likely that the men elected to be these deacons, we believe, in the Jerusalem church, would have been aided by their wives or other women in the church in general for their ministry to the old widows in Jerusalem. Jewish social structures would have required such a setup. So given that these gender-specific situations would be quite common, or could be quite common, in the work of the diaconate, it's very likely that that is why Paul in 1 Timothy 3 includes something about the wives of the deacon rather than the wives of the elders. Thus, having said all that and taking in some of these considerations uh, that we have talked about and taking in a lot of considerations that I, I can go into, uh, right here in this specific spot, but there is a lot of textual variance. There's a lot of textual arguments. There's good arguments that don't hold a lot of weight, and there's good arguments that hold more weight. Given all of these in 1 Timothy 3, as well as Acts 6, we think that biblically, the argument in favor of Gune, referring to deacons' wives, as rendered as the, in, in the ESV, are more persuasive exegetically than the argument for Gune referring to women in general, which then establishes women deacons in the church. We're more persuaded after having considered all of them. With that, it might aid you to hear the following definition of what we think deacons at RCF would be. A definition, again, that we think captures the main idea of Scripture's teaching on deacons that we think uh, to happen here at RCF. A definition. Deacons are qualified men who are recognized by the congregation and are tasked by the elders to execute specific matters of practical oversight for the good of the church and to free up the elders to devote their time to the ministry of the word and prayer. With that definition out there in the open. Yes, we can. Deacons are qualified men who are recognized by the congregation and are tasked 
by the elders to execute specific matters of practical oversight for the good of the church and to free up the elders to devote their time to the, the ministry of the word and a prayer. Let me speak, uh, briefly speak to, to what this would look like for our church going forward. In short, sense, this is going to serve the church. I don't think there's anything that we currently do that's going to change. Everything serving, uh, everyone serving in their current sweet spots, leading various ministries or areas of service in the church, y'all just going to keep on serving as you go, serving one another in love for the building up of the church. Lord willing, faithfully, you will continue to do so. You would even do so more. The church in Act 6 didn't change much in one sense. It just became a more caring church, serving one another more faithfully in love. As, Lord willing, we will see growth in this church as well. Your pastors will continue to care for you, the flock, devoting our time to the ministry of the word and the prayers for the saints. Deacons at this church, Lord willing, will be giving duties in matters practical in nature, assisting your elders in this way as an extension of their pastoral leadership and care at the church. Let me repeat that too. Deacons, Lord willing, will be given duties in matters practical in nature, assisting your elders in this way as an extension of their pastoral leadership and care at the church. Lord willing, we as a church can and will recognize faithful men to serve as deacons as needs come up and deploy them to them, letting them lead and even lead, let them lead in examples and and what it looks like to serve in Jesus-like ways, overseeing the realm of benevolence, for example. Lord willing, it's even through the ministry of benevolence, overseen by a deacon uh, that, that, that's executed by tasks that are executed by an army of faithful saints, that many, um, both in and outside of our church, would, would, would encounter Christ's love, both in word and in deed. If you look at Act 6, um, after the, the account is given of what verses 1 to 6 do, the need comes up, the deacons are deployed, verse 7 comes, and it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Praise God. Saints, we desire that kind of things to happen as we think through what it would look like to have deacons at this church. We look forward to seeing men serve in the role of deacon in the ministry here at RCF. And, 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 and we pray and we, we hope that the Lord will be pleased to bless our, our continued labors, both, both in the pulpit and, and indeed overseen by, by the deacons. Um, let, me, let me close with a couple of comments. Uh, just to qualify some of the things that, that we said. And I, I mentioned some of it at the beginning. I think it's helpful to, 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 to mention these as well. Your elders, after considering the various arguments, recognize both strengths and weaknesses 
in the different sides of the gender argument of who is to serve as deacons. Let me re-emphasize that we, though holding a position as we have just laid out, we hold it loosely simply because we are most persuaded by the current position that we take, but there's really good and faithful brothers that are way smarter than us that hold to a different position and they may be right too. It's an exegetical argument that, that is just hard, hard to be certain about. Surely, because I think the word is not as certain as we'd like it to be. So we hold this position being persuaded by the argument. We hold it loosely. Uh, one practical way of, 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 of describing that would be to say that, that I think I'm speaking for Brian and, and I, that, that, that since, since this is a church that has not had an office of deacon, and since we are kind of looking at the, at the word and, and, and kind of determining what this office ought to be, we landed this position. However, I have, in clear conscience, served at a church that held to a different position, the Lord willing. Maybe one day I'll serve at another church. And I would, in clear conscience, submit to a plurality of elders that land at a different end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That is not an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, if I would be asked to teach on this, uh, I would probably let them know where I would land. It's an important matter. It's not a matter of first importance. Mm -hmm. And I think we all should hold it that way. Can I pray and ask the Lord to, to bless this time in the Word? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the office of deacon that is clearly purposed to be at your church as needs arise for the sake of the saints caring for one another more faithfully in love for the building up of your body. And Father, we pray that as we consider this as a church and as we, we, we look ahead, that we will do so gladly, uh, welcoming the deacons into this ministry at the church. And, and would, you, would you use it, Lord, to grow our church, and not just in number, but in, in, in care and love for one another. And we do ask that you would grow our church in number, Father. Would it, would it cause growth uh, in this church so that your gospel and the word of your, your mouth, or that is written down in the pages of scripture, would, would continue to go out and bear fruit amongst us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.